Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McLean, and I can be reached at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan, and I can be reached at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N, on Twitter. Greg, a lot of things going on this week. Great weekend of football, baseball, Hall of Fame, Texans continuing the coaching search, Sean Payton's resignation from the Saints. Where do you want to start? Oh, let's let's stay close to home, John. Um, is it Groundhog Day? Because the Texans, for the second year in a row, are interviewing Josh McCown for their head coaching opening. And once again, a lot of eyebrows are raised around the NFL. He interviewed last week at the end of the week. That's two times in a year, both by Nick Casario. Jack Easterby, I was told, when he was the interim GM in 2020, and McCown was on the roster from November 1st through March 1st that those two had bonded over religion. And I was told by several people, you watch, Easterby will try to get him hired as the head coach. Then Nick Casario comes in, and he interviews him. Of course, he didn't hire him. And then they offered him a job as associate head coach or assistant head coach, something like that. But he wanted to retire and go spend time with his family because he'd played for 19 years. And now he spent time with his family and he's interviewing again. What I don't understand, Greg, if, if why would you interview him twice in a year if you weren't serious about hiring him? And I wrote a column Sunday. I talked to a lot of people that, that Josh McCown has worked with throughout his career, and all of them swear by him. They say he's a great guy. He's smart. He's uh, He knows how to communicate with players and coaches. He's organized. He'd everything you want an assistant coach, and he needs to start at a lower level. Like say, uh, say they are Brian Flores or any of the other coaches, and say they want Pep Hamilton to be the play caller and offensive coordinator. We'll bring in Josh McCown as quarterback coach. And and let me ask you something about, about McCown, except for your good line about send in McCown. Send in McCown. I mean, and send in the clowns. I wonder how many people picked that up. Somebody uh, said, and I don't remember who, it was somebody that had covered him previously. If you have 19 years as a quarterback in the NFL and you work for different head coaches, general managers, position coaches, coordinators, you learn different terminologies, you deal with players consistently. Why is that not just as good preparation for being a head coach if he had been a quarterback coach for 19 years? What do you think about that theory? That's an interesting theory, yes. As like the backup quarterback, you're involved in a lot of facets of the operation, preparation, et cetera. But you still don't have that experience running anything, you know, if it's running an offense or running a defense. And I don't know, I, I just I'm trying to I'm trying to com- come up with a analogy to that, but I, I'm not sure if it if there's a real life analogy to that. Um, obviously, in baseball, a lot of times you see catchers or backup catchers who move quickly into management, you know, and because they work a lot. They work with a pitching staff. They work with a manager. They work with a pitching coach. You know, they're also position players. So they they kind of know all facets of the operation. So that that's maybe a comparable, but I just don't know. And I, I don't know from a credibility standpoint, what would happen if the Texans hired Josh McCown? Cause their reputation around the NFL is bad enough as it is. And locally, I don't think this hiring would move any needles except maybe anger more fans or 
more fans would question the competence over there at NRG Park? I don't think Nick Casario cares about fan reaction or media reaction. He just wants to put a winner on the field. And the truth is, if he thinks McCown is the best candidate, go with him. If he thinks it's Brian Flores, who we all think is the best candidate, go with him. I got an example. How about if you've never been a politician and you get elected president? (laughs) We might have have a recent example of that, you know? (laughs) You know, the thing is about McCown is if he is named head coach, he's got Lovey Smith, he's got Romeo Cornell, former head coaches on the staff, and whether it's Pep Hamilton, and Pep was a head coach and a general manager briefly in the uh, last XFL that... Vince McMahon pulled the plug on. But if Pep has been around a long time, so if you're a first-time head coach, and especially if you don't have seasoning as an assistant coach, you're going to need good people around you you can rely on, and that would not be the executive VP of football operations. And if he gets his job, he's going to owe a debt of gratitude to Jack Easterby because Jack Easterby is the one that got Casario to interview him last year. And obviously he was impressive enough for Casario to interview him again. But if he gets this job, he's got to learn to keep Easterby at arm's length and he'll be spending most of his time with Casario. And I think this, Greg, it would be very intriguing to cover a guy in that situation. People that covered him in the past, the Jets people swear by him said Sam Darnold's best season was as a rookie playing with with uh, McCown, and he was his mentor. Uh, Carson Wentz had a really good year when he was there, and he was his mentor. So he's ready to coach in the NFL. I don't think it's a head coach, but, man, if they hired him, can you imagine the criticism they would get locally and nationally? They're already getting it. And if they wanted to hire the most popular person, that wouldn't be Brian Forrest. That would be D'Amico Ryans. And while they're at it, interviewing guys with one year's experience as a coordinator, like Jonathan Gannon and and uh, Kevin O'Connell and uh, Joe Lombardi, D'Amico Ryans got one year experience as a coordinator. If they interviewed him, which I think they should, then, uh, man, you talk about going from everybody hating him. People would love for to see him get that job because he's one of the best and most popular players in franchise history. I don't think it can hurt you in any way to interview D'Amico. I mean, it's to me, it's just it's a no-brainer. One question I have, John, a few years ago, he filed a lawsuit, and the Texans were among the defendants regarding an injury he had suffered at NRG Stadium when he played for the Eagles. I think it was during the 2014 season. It was regarding the uh, playing surface at NRG Stadium. Do you think that would have any bearing on whether he gets an interview? No, absolutely not. Robert Sala coached here six years. Everybody was interested in him last year, hired by the Jets. They never gave him even a sniff. And so uh, D'Amico filed that lawsuit because of the surface, as you pointed out. But that wasn't, you know, Casario wasn't here. Easterby wasn't here. And the McNair family, they sign off on what Nick Casario wants to do. And I'll guarantee you, if he recommended D'Amico Ryans, they know how popular that decision would be, and they couldn't sign off on it quick enough. John, um, obviously the NFL timetable is different this year because they played a 17-week season, so you have to push everything back. But are you surprised that not one head coaching vacancy has been filled yet since Black Monday? 
Absolutely. And uh, we have two GM jobs that have been filled with the Giants and the Bears. And we have two more open, Minnesota and uh, Las Vegas. And I think besides the 17-game season, and last year the last coach to be hired was David Culley, and I believe that's like two days from now. But the Rooney Rule, the the modifying the Rooney Rule to uh, every team has to interview at least two uh, uh, minorities. There's only two minorities as head coaches, Ron Rivera and Mike Tomlin. And you have to interview two minorities for general managers' jobs and for head coaching jobs. And most teams are interviewing uh, more than two minorities because they don't want it thrown back in their face. Oh, you only interviewed two to satisfy the Rooney rule. And any team that's conducting interviews right now without hiring a general manager like the Raiders are, Mark Davis is interviewing coaching candidates, they got it backward. You need to do like the Giants and the Bears. You can interview them fine, but don't hire anybody till the GM gets in there and he interviews them again. And the Texans have certainly taken their time. Nick Casario has got to get this one right. Brian Flores is the most qualified. That's the person he has to hire, should hire. I don't know if he's offered him a job. I don't know if he will. Don't know if Flores accepts or turns down. He's a candidate in other cities as well. But he would be the one that everybody would go, man, you got the best coaching candidate out there. But uh, he has options. And any of these others that they've interviewed so far, there's going to be questions about all of them. But it's Casario's whose butt is on the line. John, the biggest coaching news this week uh, came on Tuesday when Sean Payton announced he was stepping down after 16 seasons as a Saints head coach. If you look through the annals of NFL history, there aren't many more impactful coaching hires by an organization than I than Sean Payton by the Saints in 2006, I would think. I think you could look at Bill Walsh in San Francisco. You can look at Bill Belichick in New England. As far as guys who just came in and changed the culture and the mindset of an organization, because I, I think the Saints were like a backwater of the NFL when Sean Payton got there. The, the previous year, Hurricane Katrina had hit Louisiana. They had to play games in Baton Rouge and San Antonio. No one knew if that franchise was staying in New Orleans. And I think the work he did in New Orleans with Drew Brees, you know, over 15 seasons, that was just like a miracle worker. What, what do you think of the tenure that he had in New Orleans? I agree. And uh, Tom Benson, the late owner, was moving the franchise to San Antonio, his hometown. And uh, Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner, stepped in and put his foot down and said, no way, you're not abandoning New Orleans. And a lot of people were bitter at him uh, until they won the Super Bowl because he hired Peyton. And then it was a lot, oh, okay, they forgot that Benson was going to abandon them and move to Texas. And Peyton did as good a coaching job as anybody's ever done, not over the long haul like Belichick, but winning a Super Bowl, making him a Super Bowl contender every year. Now, they have a very awkward situation. Gail Benson who's the owner, said, we're going to conduct a thorough search. Mickey Loomis, their GM, is not a personnel guy. Peyton is in total control of everything. So uh, would he go to the Cowboys where he would not have total control, where Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones are head of personnel and Will McClay, their great personnel director, he has got a big say in it? Are they all just going to back away and give that power to Sean Payton? I don't see it. 
it's a natural fit, but I just don't see it. Peyton was better for the Saints than John Gruden was for the Raiders, and Gruden cost the Buccaneers two ones and two twos. Would a team give up two ones and two twos for Sean Payton? I think you'd just like you'd give up whatever it took to get to to get a coach of that magnitude. And and uh I kind of think he's not coming back to the Saints, but how awkward would it be? Any coach they are, they're gonna say, now wait a minute. What if in 2023, Sean says, I'm ready to come back? What happens to me? Is anybody going to take that job believing that's a possibility? Do the uh, Does Gail Benson have to tell him in writing, if Sean wants to come back, you're going to be the head coach? You're just setting yourself up for an awkward situation. That's why I think whoever they hire, they're going to tell him the job is yours. And uh, he'll end up going somewhere else and they'll get compensation. John, I want to bring this up only to hear you say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Would Sean Payton ever entertain having Nick Casario in his headset on game day and Jack Easterby on the sidelines? Greg, with all due respect, let me put it this way. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Very good. Um, Let's shift to a little on-field action in the playoffs. Obviously, a lot was said about this divisional weekend, the best, maybe the best playoff weekend ever. You have four games all decided on the final play. The best of those games, Bills-Chiefs, um, I think it's the greatest divisional round playoff game ever. What does it say about the history of the Buffalo Bills that the Music City Miracle is only the third most crushing playoff loss in their history? Greg, I never feel sorry for the Bills fans. I didn't feel sorry for them, the Music City Miracle, and I covered that, and I didn't feel sorry for them on this one because they deserve to lose the game. Losing that game with 13, seconds left is inexcusable, terrible coaching. And I didn't blame the players. I blame the coaches. And the Bills got exactly what they deserve. Now, someday, someday, I may be on the other side of the grass by then, but someday they're going to win a Super Bowl. And can you imagine how delicious, how sweet that's going to be? They may give them a a month-long holiday in Western New York. And, uh, I, there's been a lot of great playoff games, and and but that one to me it wasn't the greatest playoff game. It was the greatest last two minutes and overtime we've ever seen, led by two incredible quarterbacks who put on an unbelievable show. And the cliche that it's too bad one had to lose, that's exactly the case. I felt terrible for Josh Allen because man, oh man, what a performance! And that is, without a doubt, the greatest weekend in NFL playoff history, and we may live to be 100 and never see anything like it again. John, are you among the pe- the chorus of people who want to change the overtime rules to, to make sure both teams get one possession? Or is that a deal where, you know, defense is part of the game. you got to play some defense. And, hey, Buffalo, you were 13 seconds away. You just got to get a stop there. You said it, Greg. It never should have come down to overtime for the Bills. But it did, as long as they continue to play defense and it's supposed to be such a big part of the game, stop them. Now, from a fan standpoint, would I have loved to see Patrick Mahomes get his hands on the ball against Tom Brady? Would I have loved to see Josh Allen get his hands on the ball against Patrick Mahomes? Hell yes, we would have loved to have seen that. But one of the things to keep in mind, when they make that rule, it has to do with how long players play. And I think about the injury factor. To me, it, 
it, it, if a game is five hours long and it's played like that one, I'll watch every minute because it is stupendous. And I know if if I were a fan of another team, like say the Texans finally have a chance to go to the Super Bowl and they lose an overtime game like that and people are going to go ballistic. But the fact is, when you do play defense, just stop them if you want the ball. Speaking of the Texans, if you were a Texans fan watching that game and you thought, you know what, two years ago we beat Buffalo and Josh Allen and then we were up 24 nothing in Kansas City on Patrick Mahomes, how do you think, how does a Texans fan think about how far that team has fallen since the 2019 playoffs? Well, while the Bills have gone up and the Chiefs went on to win the Super Bowl and they've been in their four consecutive AFC championship games of the are the uh, it's become a tradition for the fans at Arrowhead Stadium, and here they they have four words they say: Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby. They tore down this franchise. They signed Whitney Merciless for what they could have signed DJ Reader for. DJ Reader played great in the Bengals' victory at Tennessee, and that's I love it because DJ was a tremendous person. He was a good player. He blew out his knee last season, and now he's a big part of a team that's reached the AFC Championship game and has a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So you see that and some of the decisions they made, and you look back and you know where the blame belongs. John, speaking of conference championship games, I think Championship Sunday is the best day on the NFL calendar coming up this week. You've covered a lot of conference championship games in your career. Are there any that stand out to you? Well, you said that last week, too, and I said that traditionally it's a divisional round, and I'm pretty confident we're not going to see championship games like that divisional round. And truthfully, I when I think about championship games, yes, there have been some great ones, but I also think there haven't been as many great ones And you'd think. We were spoiled last weekend, so now we are on the edge of our seats, Greg, hoping to have two more games like it, and I think that odds may be against it, even though uh, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, the Chiefs lost to the Bengals this season in a come-for-buying victory. Those two great young quarterbacks, it's kind of, they could put on a show like Mahomes did with Josh Allen. And then you look over at the NFC and you think, okay, Matthew Stafford playing at home, never won a playoff game till he got to Los Angeles, and then there's Jimmy Garoppolo. And... 49ers play old-fashioned football. They win despite Garoppolo, but they've won six in a row over the Rams, including this season. So maybe these games will go down to the wire. Maybe they'll go into overtime, but I just don't see uh, a way we're going to have the excitement of games settled on the last play. But it could happen. I mean, I think, I, I think Greg, the Rams and the Chiefs will win, but I think both games will be close. Hopefully they will be. John, if you're an NFL player or a head coach, does it hurt more to make the Super Bowl and lose that or to lose in the conference championship round when you are on the cusp of making the Super Bowl? You have to go to the Super Bowl for a chance to be a champion. So even if you lose, at least you had a chance to be a champion. If you lose in a championship game, you don't have that chance to be a champion. And I've never figured out, heard a lot of explanations, why is it? that teams that generally lose the Super Bowl generally don't go back. And that you'd think the teams that win it 
would get complacent, would get fat on the banquet circuit. They've got the big check. They've got the ring that they all play for after the big contract. So what else is there? You'd think there'd be more of those teams not going back to the Super Bowl. And that's one of the reasons, to me, it's so fascinating. But you got to get there. Would the, would the Bills fans wish that the Bills hadn't lost four in a row? I, as much as it kills them, I think they know. They had a chance to win a championship in each of those seasons and didn't do it, and they wouldn't trade the experience because of what it could have meant. Very true. John, let's, let's finish up with a couple more quick topics. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, have we seen the last of them as NFL quarterbacks, or do you expect uh, one or both to return next year? I expect both to return, Rodgers, because he has a much better relationship with the GM, Brian Gunekunst. He talked about it uh, with Pat McAfee last week and how good he feels around the team and how fired up he is, and that was when they were winning. And one of his former teammates, John Kuhn, the fullback, I heard him last year interviewed on multiple national talk shows about Aaron Rodgers and what he thought he was going to do when Rodgers was holding them hostage. And every time he said, Aaron will be back, trust me, he'll be back. And he says now, he'll be back, trust me, he'll be back. And he said one reason is, because of the much better relationship he has with Brian Gutekunst, the GM. As for Brady, he said he wanted to play till he's 45. He said he wouldn't retire unless he sucked. Well, he didn't suck. He threw for over 5,000 yards. He didn't lose that divisional round game because he sucked or he didn't play as well. That wasn't his problem. So I think, you know, he talks about his family. He's told us before that his wife, Giselle has told him she wants him to retire. It's not like he got beat up real bad. It's not like he missed games because of injuries. And he talked about his kids. Well, hey, they've been kids now for the last few years. I'm guessing they think it's pretty cool that their dad's Tom Brady, and he's winning rings uh, about every other year. So I think both will be back. Sounds good. And last topic we'll discuss, Baseball Hall of Fame election was Tuesday for the 10th and final time the writers denied Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens' election to the Baseball Hall of Fame. David Ortiz was the only player elected on the writers' ballot. Was that a just treatment for Bonds and Clemens? Well, first of all, David Ortiz is now the only member of the Hall of Fame to test positive for PEDs. And I thought that Bonds and Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. I think P. Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm glad on the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we don't legislate morals. We vote for them based on what they did on the field. And if they had those rules in baseball, all those guys would have been in there. And the problem with keeping some guys out and putting some guys in from the steroid era, you know, Bonds and Clemens never tested positive. Ortiz did. Now, we all think they did steroids. But I think there's other guys who have been voted in there if I look at their careers. And I think, hmm, they sure got bigger and they got better, and now they're in the Hall of Fame. And David Ortiz, you know, he went from from Minnesota, where he didn't do squat, to uh, uh, to Boston, where all of a sudden he got bigger, stronger, and excelled as one of the greatest hitters in baseball history. And he had a great personality. Everybody liked him. People didn't like Barry Bonds. People didn't like Roger Clemens. And, and so I think that that had something to do with it. I also don't like in baseball, they keep them on the modern era uh, candidacy for 10 years. We do it 
for 20 years. There can be a lot of water under a bridge from when a player's first eligible, then he gets near the end of that modern era candidacy. And so I like also the fact that our committee discusses all this and we do it over a year. And then we have one final meeting that lasts about eight hours in which we discuss every candidate. And I'd love to hear those baseball writers discussing each of those players. And i tell you one more thing before we go, Greg. I saw what may be the most unbelievable statistic I've ever seen involved Billy Wagner. And I've always thought Billy the Kid should be in the Hall of Fame because he was the quintessential closer, not Mariano, uh, not Mariano, not Mariano Rivera, but he was great. A statistic I saw on ESPN this week, he struck out more batters in the ninth inning than any pitcher ever did in any inning, and that includes Nolan Ryan. And it had a list. I believe Wagner struck out 932 batters in the ninth inning. Nobody else was in the nines. Nolan had almost every other inning record in the eights. But that is what you want in a closer. That is the epitome of being a closer. He got a little bit closer than he had. I hope someday, if his 10 years are up, that one of those committees that adds people into the Hall of Fame will recognize the consistent greatness of Billy Wagner as a closer. You'd hope so. And, John, one more thing on on the Hall of Fame. Great New York Daily News back page today with a headline that said, Boston PED Party. Thought that was pretty funny. Oh, what a great great headline. And you know the Red Sox fans are livid. Thank you for listening to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McClain. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm Greg Rogan. You can reach me at Greg Rogan, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg, thank you very much. And I hope all the listeners enjoyed this podcast. And thank you guys for listening, reading, and watching. <laughs>